Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, I'm Noah Kozlov, and as we record this on Tuesday, January 22nd, 2019, 13 years ago, today was the Kobe 81 And I was 24 years old, voicing highlights for NBA.com, and lucky enough to be in the sound booth that night to do the official game highlights for Kobe Bryant's 81-point night. And when I look back on it, I cringe, but it always makes me think of NFL Championship Sunday because that was the Championship Sunday when the Steelers got to the Super Bowl against the Seahawks, and on ESPN News... It was all about Kobe, and in the bottom right corner box was the Steelers-Seahawks will meet in the Super Bowl. And I'm Adam Stanko. I grew up constantly hearing about how great Pat Riley was as a player. You see, my dad had gone to school with the future Lakers coaching legend at Linton High School in Schenectady, New York. In fact, a lot of people don't know this, but Riley played against his former star attraction with the Lakers, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, in 1961 when Kareem went by Lou Alcindor, a dominant high school force at Power Memorial. Riley's team actually won that game, and my dad would tell me all the time about how my contemporaries were nothing compared to Riley. He'd say, the best player in this area, this area being Westchester, Pennsylvania, couldn't hold a candle to Riley. Now, Riley was a terrific player at Kentucky and eventually a solid pro in the NBA, but as I got older, there was a talented kid in a neighboring town of mine who went by the name of Rip, and another kid in the district who was emerging as the best high school player in the country, Kobe Bryant. In 1996, the two met up as the best players on their respective teams in the district semis. Kobe's team won. And in the 2004 NBA Finals, they met up again as their team's best players and Rip's team won. It's been 15 years since that NBA Finals matchup and 15 years since I've been able to say to my dad, you know, my guys were much better than yours. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot goes well with both red and white and is perfect with a workout of your choice. Our co-hosts are on both coasts and they have all of NBA Nation covered. Adam Stanko in the Bay Area and Noah Kozlov in the Big Apple. The Catch and Shoot podcast is brought to you by Pure Hoops Media, a new basketball community that we'd like to welcome you to. Pure Hoops will always give you perspective, insight, deep knowledge of the sport, and our weekly podcast will explore hoops from all sorts of perspectives. And in addition to this show, Catch and Shoot, with me, Noah Kozlov, and Adam Stanko, we also present the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. That show drops on Fridays, and our other show, The Wise Ass Show with Mike Wise. Wise Ass Show drops on Mondays, and Mike's guest so far, Jamal Crawford and Garrett Temple of the Grizzlies, who told some great stories this past week and shared his thoughts on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So we hope you'll check out all of our shows. We think you'll like them. Please subscribe, tell your friends, rate, review. They'll thank you, and so will we. Guys, explain this to me. So Noah, explain this to me. Why should LeBron be an all-star starter? You know, during the first release of the all-star voting numbers a couple of weeks ago, LeBron was the first, wasn't first, with over 1 million fan votes, the only player to top the million mark. However, he hasn't played since then. In fact, he hasn't played since suffering a groin injury against the Warriors on Christmas Day. LeBron has missed 14 straight games, longest stretch he's missed in his career. And in the 34 games he did play this season, L.A. was 20-14. and 14. Mm, I don't know. Noah, why should LeBron be an all-star starter? Well, I can answer that, but I can also tell you that I was at that game at the Palestra in the district semis in 1996, sitting in the aisle, which was a complete fire hazard. The Palestra that night was a fire hazard for district semis, Kobe and, and Richard Hamilton. But back to LeBron, I could make the case either way, whether he should or shouldn't be. But yeah, sure, he shouldn't be a starter simply because there are other guys at his position like 
KD, like Anthony Davis, like Jokic, who have not missed the time that LeBron has. But at the same time, LeBron is the face of the league. Now, my thought is, if LeBron, so they're a game back, and they've got Minnesota, Phoenix, and Philly at home. Then they hit the road for six right before the break. Well, kind of the road, the Clippers. And then at the Warriors, at the Pacers, at Boston, at Philly, at Atlanta. I'm just wondering, and I'll tease the next week's headlines later on. I'm just wondering how far they drop or have to drop before LeBron comes back. But I I don't think LeBron should be an all-star starter if he ends up missing, you know, a half of their games or close to for the first half of the season, despite being the face of the league. And then I start to think, well, then is he even going to end up, is he going to ask out of the all-star game or just say, nah, nah, I need the time off to rest if he's not a starter. I could see LeBron doing that also. I could see him doing it. I I think he'll be a starter just because of the way that the voting's going to shake up. And as we know, people are going to vote for LeBron because they're not watching. Some people out there don't even know that he's injured. I would say as a positive player efficiency rating of 26.3, ranked seventh in the league ahead of Embiid, KD, Paul George, many others. But of course, that was in limited time as, as we talked about. The one thing I have to wonder about, though, is that the rest of that roster has seemingly now been exposed now partly because of injuries i mean right now lonzo ball and rajon rondo hurt uh cal kuzma playing well so it's sort of this thing as is always the case with lebron do you judge him based upon the roster considering you know he had a lot to do with how the roster is currently constructed yeah look i mean when it comes to an all-star game frankly i just want the best players out there and, and the guys that I actually want to see in an all-star game. I, I'm not as concerned with someone's PER in an all-star, for, for an all-star game. Although, like Devin Booker, yeah, no, like Devin Booker shouldn't be an all-star because his team stinks. Um, but, like, I want Luka in. And I should have said Paul George before. I want Luka in because I want him to be, I want him on that stage. LeBron should be, LeBron's going to be a starter. Whether he should or shouldn't be is, I guess, besides the point. And, Look, coaches and players don't want the wrath. So whether the fans vote him in or not, the players are the players and coaches are gonna vote him in as as an all-star and then but I think the fans will will take care of that. Guys, explain this to me. Adam, explain this to me. Do you have to pick a side in Russell Westbrook versus Joel Embiid? No, I'm on whichever side will cause this beef to continue. I think this is the most (laughs) fun battle in the league right now. Embiid being this ultra fun, bubbly superstar that loves to rile opponents. He's sort of the bad guy who somehow everyone still loves. He's the ultimate heel. And Russ is the ultra intense superstar that in a weird way, people have a big time problem with Westbrook. And yet he's sort of everything that we want our NBA guys to be. We always talk about, we want guys back in the good old days, the golden days, the the 80s, when they were not friends on the court, when they battled each other all the whole time and then kept those rivalries going off the court. So to have these guys beefing, and this has been for a while now and exchanging words, mostly through the press, but uh, an occasional wave here and there. Um, I'm just on the side of the the beef continuing. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Joel Embiid's the best. And what Russ said was great. And and actually, I would actually argue that Russ shouldn't be an all-star. But I want Russ and Embiid to be on opposite all-star teams. Because remember, a few years ago, it was, is Russ going to talk to KD? And then they had that moment in the hallway where they passed each other. And then, oh, I didn't see him. That nonsense. They, you know, basically like a Blake Griffin, Steve Ballmer deal. I just want them on opposite sides. I want... Russ to try to dunk on Embiid, and I want Embiid to, to end up having to guard Russ at the top of the key one-on-one and so that they end up trash-talking each other. I just think I, I, I think Embiid is what you want from a superstar. He's kind of like a, a new-age Shaq, and some of the numbers he's putting up are Shaq-like, but with the Shaq personality. And... I was disappointed when Russ and Kevin Durant had their little reunion during the All-Star game. I was the only one when everyone was all excited about the two of them, you know, with the alley-oop play. Everyone's all excited that they, you know, figured things out once again and had this moment. 
I was extremely disappointed. I, I love <laughs> I NBA no beats. Yeah, I want no moments between those guys. No moments. No, no, no moments. I love friction. Guys, explain this to me. No, explain this to me. Where should we be ranking Russ's teammate, Paul George, in the MVP race? And I say that by saying, as we record on Tuesday night, OKC sits third in the West, 28 and 18. PG 13, currently seventh in the NBA in scoring, second in steals. And he's been a steadying influence on this Thunder team. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to give you my I'm going to give you my five for MVP right now. And you let me know if if you've got any issues with it. I've got Harden, Giannis, Embiid, Paul George, and Jokic. Am I missing anybody? Nah, not yet. No, because I actually I think that I do think Steph, as like otherworldly as it is, I just I just have such a difficult time with anybody on that Warriors team, no matter what numbers they're putting up, because of what. And, and that team is, I would much rather, if I said, I've said it for a long time, I'd much rather have Steph on the team than KD because when Steph doesn't play, they lose. And that is, you know, that could be one of the, the criteria for MVP. But I, I understand Steph and I understand that I understand Kawhi also. But Kawhi is now sitting out, as we recorded, as you said on Tuesday night, he's now sitting out his third straight game because of rest. It's, it's nonsense. I just can't, I can't get behind that. If you're injured, you're injured. Resting, it just doesn't work for me for an MVP when the schedule is made for you to actually be on the floor. So I like I I would put Paul George I put Paul George at 4 right now and I think any one of those five I think that could be a complete shakeup throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, it really can. I mean, the interesting thing is just statistically the comparison versus the impact that guys are having on the league. I mean, how do you even compare what James Harden is doing plus the career year Anthony Davis is having, Joel Embiid 30 and 10 every night seemingly. And then you talk about Steph. I mean, the numbers that he's capable of putting up maybe aren't even as impactful as the fact that the Warriors look like they're going to win the West again and Steph is the guy that's probably most responsible for that. It's and we don't even mention the Greek freak. So, I it, it's hard for me right now to get a handle on this MVP race, but I I'll tell you Paul George really has been the guy and hit the game winner over over Philly the other night. Mm-hmm. He's just been unbelievable. And if and I sort of think about it this way: if you have an issue with Westbrook, but you look at where OKC is in the standings, then you almost have to put Paul George into that conversation. Oh, for sure, he's absolutely. The conversation is the longest list of MVP candidates that we've had at this point in the season in a long time, which which makes it fun, but also maddening when you've got to pick one. Guys, explain this to me. Adam, explain this to me. Carmelo is a worthwhile addition to a team. I don't think in the NBA, but maybe the G League or China right now Stop. to sell tickets. G-League. Listen, here's here's the thing. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a big Carmelo fan. We we talk about high school hoops and watching great games. I saw LeBron and Carmelo battle each other at ABCD camp. I saw them play against each other in Trenton, New Jersey at the primetime shootout mm. when Carmelo was a senior and LeBron was a junior, both top-rated players in their classes. And I've loved watching Carmelo's career. I, I think he has had a brilliant career, great offensive player, a uh, great player, period, uh, and and but really offensively, just seeing his his footwork, his shooting ability, his ability to score, uh, no matter who he was playing alongside, whether it was the Olympics, the All Star Games, uh, talented teammates. But over the last two seasons, obviously the scoring's dropped significantly, and that's been the calling card for him. He's only been shooting a hair over forty percent in each of those seasons. But the scary part for me, he's still taking over six threes a game, and granted, small sample size this season, but was doing it last season as well. So we know the Bulls are either going to trade him or waive him as they continue this tankathon. But for me, I, I don't know that there's a place where Carmelo Anthony fits in, even as a guy who shoots the ball because he's going to shoot too much and he's not going to make many of those shots. He's not worthwhile. I mean, look, if he was worthwhile, he could have been had a long time ago for a, for a second-round pick. He's, he's, not, he's not worthwhile. It's not like he's ever going to change. And I think, that, I think there are so many that are delusional about this second unit score guy that why can't he go out there and give you 20 a night I mean just that's not Carmelo anymore he's he's simply not 
simply not good enough. Maybe for one night. And then I saw LeBron like that um, Instagram post about, well, it worked for Mark. No, everyone said Mark Aguirre wouldn't work. Like, Mark Aguirre was 29 years old, and he had just averaged 26 a game the, the, the season before. And, and also, the Lakers don't have an Isaiah Thomas or a Joe Dumars. So, I mean, maybe, maybe I asked LeBron. Maybe, I guess, maybe he's getting Shabazz Napier to his team since he loved him so much. Come on. Car- Carmelo, is, he's simply he's not worthwhile. All right, so coming up next, we will have B.J. Armstrong from our Pure Hoops media family and also the three-time champ and NBA agent. Time for a word from Pure Hoops Media, the Catch and Shoot podcast. You're listening to it right now with Noah Kozlov, myself, Adam Stanko. It's just one of three shows from Pure Hoops each week. Every Monday, we present the Wise-Ass Show with basketball journalist extraordinaire Mike Wise. Mike is much more than just a Wise-Ass, although he is a first-team all-pro Wise-Ass Mike's insights and guests will enrich your life and just may lead to world peace and harmony among nations. Well, at the very least, you'll get 45 minutes of basketball goodness and the Pure Hoops podcast with Chicago Bulls legend and current player agent B.J. Armstrong, along with co-host Eric Newman. That show drops every Friday. Check out all three shows each week wherever you get your podcasts. And please subscribe right now. And speaking of B.J. Armstrong... We are joined by the three-time champ, the All-Star back in 1994, the 18th pick in 1989 out of Iowa. He's BJ Armstrong. He's also part of our Pure Hoops Media family. The Pure Hoops podcast with BJ and Eric Newman comes out every Friday, so subscribe, rate, review, all that. BJ, Noah, and Adam, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're good. We're good. Uh, Before we get back to your career, let's get into agent life for you. Derek Rose this season. What were your expectations? Well, you know, when you, you're talking about players, you know, you, you know, there's a variety of things. And, and the one thing about Derek that was, you know, his expectations of what he was able to do and accomplish so early in his career, then that became the, the standard of, you know, of excellence and what we all came to expect as a player. Uh, what did I expect this year? I expected Derek to do what he always does, is go out there every single time he, he steps on the court and gives his best effort. And it wasn't a question of talent. It wasn't a question of his desire to play. It was always, was this, you know, where was his help? Where was he mentally and physically, you know, how was he able to put all of that together? Sometimes, you know, physically he wanted to do something where mentally, you know, his, his mind was saying one thing, but his body was saying another. And then another time, you know, it could be, you know, where he wanted to go out there and play, but, you know, for whatever reason, he just couldn't do it. And uh, this was the opportunity for him where it finally came all together for him. And uh, he's been able to find a nice rhythm up there in Minnesota. And he's really found his comfort zone and really coming to an understanding of where he's at in his career. I don't think it's a question of that he can still go out there and produce and do those things. It was just a matter of can he have a sustained level of what we've come to expect from Derrick Rose. So I think that was the big thing for him. And, and you know, he's really putting together a really nice individual year. And they're, they're right there in the thick of it there in the, in the Western Conference. BJ, you talk about the, the difference in, in figuring out that balance with the mind and, and the body. I'm curious, you know, from afar, many of us thought Derek could never really reach this level of play again. How much doubt did he himself have about making this kind of comeback? You, you never forget. You never forget how to play. You never forget. And you know what you can and what you're capable of doing. It, it, it just gets down to really – getting in the repetitions that's necessary, you know, to be a great player in this league, you know, it takes more than just working out. You actually have to go out there and actually perform and do it in a game like setting. And the only place you can do that is in the game. So it was just a matter of time before Derek was able to get enough reps for his game timing and then allow his talent to do what his talent can do. I mean, he's, 
an incredibly talented kid. Physically, I mean, he's, you know, he's as big and as strong as any guard in the league, and he still has his quickness and his speed and all of the stuff is still there, but it's just a matter of him knowing how to hone that and play it where he can do it on a consistent basis every night in this league. So then why didn't it work out before Minnesota? Well, he had he had some injuries, you know. Um, there in Cleveland, you know, he started off like the first six or seven games. He was averaging about 16, 17 points a game, and then he got hurt. And he had to miss, I want to say, like, like a 10-game stretch there in a 10- or 12-game stretch at the beginning of the season. And, you know, when you're going to a new team, and, and remember, he wasn't – pegged to be the starter when he went there, when he signed there early in the summer. And then they traded Kyrie, which changed the dynamics of why he was going there. So, uh, but once he got hurt, he was kind of behind the eight ball, tried to come back, and it was a different team by then, by the time he got back. And then uh, kind of the wheels fell off for the group. You know, everyone was trying to scramble. They made the trade, and, you know, Derek gets traded, I think, to Utah at that time. He was just never able to find his rhythm. And uh, But there at Minnesota – it was just a good rhythm for him. And, uh, you know, sometimes it just it works in your favor and sometimes it doesn't. But you know what? I give, the, I give the kid credit. He continues to have the perseverance and the belief in himself to know that he can do it. It's just a matter of getting out there and, and, and going out there and doing it every night. All right, so what's he, what's he looking for after this season? Well, you know, we just take it one day at a time. And uh, when you're a veteran in this league, you, you, you understand how quickly things can change. So, you know, not looking too far ahead. Let's just, you know, tonight, he's, you know, he's playing. I think they play in Phoenix, and you just go day by day. If you can play in this league, all of that stuff will take care of itself. There, there'll never be a shortage of general managers and coaches looking for players who can go out there and perform. And this kid is averaging, I don't know, 18, 19 points a game off the bench. So all of that will take care of itself. For him, you know, individually, he's achieved all of the individual awards. He's been an all-star. He's been an MVP. And now it's just being in the right place at the right time. And more importantly, just being healthy. And if you can do that, you know, well, there'll be a place in this league for a kid like that. Certainly the, the highlight of the season for Derrick Rose seemed to be that 50-point night on, on Halloween. And obviously Minnesota was just bananas that night. Uh your experience with him that night, those conversations after the game, what 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 were you guys talking about? How did you celebrate? Well, for him, it was just, you know, he was like, you know, BJ, I think I played too many minutes. You know, it was really funny. <laughs> I remember this young kid, you know, I remember this young kid who never wanted to come out of the game, and now he's worried about, you know, playing too many, many minutes in a game because, you know, you have to play the next night. So uh, for him – you know, it's just settling in and knowing what your body can and can't do. And as a young kid, you know, you want to play 48 minutes. And then it's funny how when you get older, you get 10, 11 years in the league, you know, you're just trying to do what's necessary to win that to win that game. So uh, it was really funny. He was like, it's been so long since he played like, like 40 minutes in a game, but he understood that he was in such a groove that he, he figured that uh, the coach wasn't going to take him out. The, I remember the one thing that he said after the game, he was like, why coach didn't take me out of the game? You know, I, I missed my rotation. I was like, Derek, you're, you had it going that night. He was like, yeah, but still, he's got to take me out. And we were just laughing about it. But it was a great moment for him, a great moment for the team. And, uh, you know, I think it was one he'll, he'll remember forever because it's been, a long, it's been a long road and a long journey to get, to get back to that point. All right, so this isn't the Derek Rose show, but the Derek Rose show will be on – Stadium. I call it games for stadium. I've seen the promo so many times. I think it's coming either at the end of January or February, the documentary. So watchstadium.com is where you can find that. Let's go to your career. 18th pick, 89 out of Iowa. Where were you and how did you find out you got drafted? Um, I was at the draft that year oh, in New York. Okay. Um, so I, I was there and uh, it was a great moment in, in, in my career to be invited to New York City and um, hear your name, Paul, get to shake the commissioner's hand, and then, uh, you know, and then, you know, as they say, you know, work begins. So uh, I was in New York, so I found out, 
and uh, got on the plane the next day to Chicago and, and uh, you know, and started my career. And it was a, it was a great place to start and, and was able to, you know, find my way around this league as a, as a young kid right out of Iowa. Um, it, was, it was a good time. Wait, so did you, did you know you were going 18? Did you know the Bulls were really interested? Did you think you were going higher? I, I didn't, you know, it's funny at that time, I really didn't care where I went. I didn't care when I went. Um, I just remember my, my parents always telling me, you know what, just get your foot in the door and then you've got to do the rest. didn't matter if I went 10 or 11. I just didn't care. And I, that kind of stuck with me and it turned out to be true, you know, so, we put such an emphasis now in today's media about this guy's a lottery pick, this guy here. But in the end, it really doesn't matter. What matters is can you play and can you perform when you get up here? And performance will always be the X factor. So um, I just kind of bought into what my parents told me. They was like, hey, just get your foot in the door, and then you have a responsibility to do the rest. So for me, it was just, okay, I heard my name called. And they told me where I was going, and then I figured if I wanted to stay there, I was going to have to do something, right? I couldn't just hold on to being drafted in the NBA. And uh, so I just went out there and gave it my all, and, uh, and I was very fortunate that, you know, I had the talent to go out there and do it, and, and I was able to play and do it for 11 years. Re- regarding trying to figure it all out, uh, I've always wanted to ask you this question, BJ, for years after after reading this in, in Sam Smith's book, The Jordan Rules. He, he wrote about how you were trying to figure out how to play with, with Michael Jordan. And so that you went to the library to pick up books about geniuses in different professions so you could understand him better. What did you glean from, from that experience? Well, um, you know, back then I was a, I was a ferocious reader and I, and I still am. And I, I just remember, I, I didn't know Jordan was a genius. I didn't know Jordan. Jordan back then wasn't Jordan. Uh, you know, he was a young kid who wore long shorts and was running around. That's, he wasn't the Jordan that we've come to say, you know, maybe or perhaps is the greatest player of all time. You know, I must remember at that time in 89 or so when I came into the league, you know, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird were – Without question, they were the, you know, they, they were the standard of excellence of what this league was all about. Um, you know, Jordan hadn't won any championships. You know, Jordan, obviously, he could score. He was averaging 30-something a night, but he wasn't that Jordan. And um, so I didn't know, and I don't think anybody was saying that he was going to be the greatest player at that time, right? He was a kid that, you know, if I recall – and what I remember is they were like, you guys will never win a championship with a guy running around scoring that many points. And certainly it wasn't in vogue then to build a team around a two-guard, right? You were always looking for the center or, you know, the Kareem's or the big man. That was kind of the way to build a team. The Sam Bowie. Um, yeah, Sam Bowie and Akeem Olajuwon or what have you. You know, Patrick Ewing, you know, those were the guys where they were trying to build teams and – you know, you know, build championship, you know, that, that was kind of the standard. Um, and I stumbled on a, a book, you know, and it turned out, I don't know if it applied to Michael Jordan. What did apply to him was that it's the first time I kind of met a kid who had this level of excellence and this level of understanding, and he was able to be not only a phenomenal athlete, but he was a very highly skilled basketball player. I thought that was a very unusual combination that he was a person who was the most athletic player in the league, but he also was the most fundamentally sound player in the league, which I thought was a very unique combination. So, you know, I don't know if the book applied to him, but certainly none of us at that time was saying that this kid was going to be the greatest player. We knew he was a incredible talent but he had yet to achieve any of the success that he went on to achieve the six championships and all the other things that he achieved in his career. What kind of things did you see in practice every day though, that took MJ from the one that you're describing to the one that we all know now? 
Well, one thing about Michael that was I thought was unique is he he always made sure that he was one of the guys. And there wasn't anything in particular that he did, in my humble opinion, that set him apart, right? You know, for example, you know, I noticed, you know, in his career, he stopped warming up. And I was like, you always warm up. You always prepare. And he was like, I don't want to take away from the rest of the team with crowds and stuff building around because – I don't want I don't want you guys to alienate me because you don't want to be around me because everyone's always following me. I mean, he was very thoughtful that way. He was very thoughtful where he put his locker at because he knew he was going to get more immediate attention than the other guys, but he didn't want to make it inconvenient for the rest of us. I mean, think of how considerate that was because he didn't have to do that. So he would not warm up because he didn't want us to feel uncomfortable he would make sure that he was always part of the group. We didn't have two two buses or three buses when one group comes over. He would always come over with the team. So the thing about him that made him special in practice is that he practiced and did the same things that we did. I mean, think of that. <laughs> Just think of that. You know, he played 40 minutes the night before. He would score 35, 40 points. And then he would come out and practice and warm up and do the same exact thing as the person who didn't play last night and do that. That's who he was because he felt that that was necessary to be a good teammate, a great teammate. And I, always, and I along with everyone else, always respected that, that he had that level of energy to, one, pull that off, and, two, that he was that considerate of the group and group dynamics. So his understanding of team – and what he meant to the team, I think, was just incredible, which made him a great teammate and a great, you know, he, and a great leader as he was able to accept that responsibility as well. And as they say, the rest is history when he went on, uh, you know, achieve what he achieved and what the Bulls went on to achieve, but because of his awareness and consideration of the group and the group dynamics. Who's the best superstar teammate now in today's game and why? Well, I mean, look, it's unfair because I don't get a chance to peek behind the curtain. Um, you know, well, one of the, or, or, or maybe just from, from the guys that you represent, um, the stories that they tell you. Well, I, I, you know, and just and, and, and from what I know, because I, I, you know, I work with a couple of the players who play with them and work with them now. You know, Steph Curry is a very interesting player to me because he plays the game with such a joy and a, such a – he's like – he's so selfless the way he plays. You know, he doesn't – he just goes out and he just plays. You know, like I watched him play, you know, last night against the Lakers. Clay Thompson had it going, and Steph Curry was just a facilitator and accepted the – he accepted that responsibility – he accepted that responsibility willingly last night. He wasn't trying to go out and get numbers. He wasn't trying to find his rhythm. Clay had it going. He deferred to Clay. Clay, I think, made his first 10 threes or something. He had like 44 points. It was like unbelievable. And I was just amazed about how Steph Curry just willingly goes with the flow of the game. And he plays in the flow of the game. And even though he's the point guard, Draymond probably is the one who leads the team in assists. And he just does things. He accepts Kevin Durant. He accepts Boogie Cousins. And I just think what he's done and the example he's done for what he's achieved in his career, I think, speaks volumes about him and his understanding of the game. And I don't think many people can do that. Um, so I, I'm always intrigued about how players of his caliber can play with other great players. And he's, certainly he's doing that, and he's doing that at a high level. We, we certainly saw – that that kind of enthusiasm and and that kind of teammate that that Steph was when Boogie made his his debut, um, and he's there dancing and cheering from the sidelines. It was pretty cool to see. Sticking with the the rest of that Warriors team, uh, what's the relationship like right now between between Draymond and and KD? You know, I, like I always expected it to be. You know, uh, have a great relationship. What what's the Look, 
everyone makes big deals about being, about people, what I call just really communicating with each other. We're actually talking about something that maybe 20 years ago you just couldn't see because of cameras and every game that's on television now. If you're with someone all the time, a family member, a work colleague, or what have you, you're going to have miscommunications. What I mean by miscommunication is there's, if you're in, if you're working and you're, you're working in a pressure environment, you're going to have something that comes up. The thing that was incredible to me that no one talked about was how quickly it came up and how quickly it re- was resolved amongst those two. How quickly it came up and then how quickly it was resolved. It didn't require a, someone to get them to talk or they resolved it. There was a misunderstanding of what happened. And the thing that I loved about it was we're talking about two competitive players who were trying to win a game, right? We're talking about guys who are trying to win the game, not only trying to win the game, who won these games at a very high level. So <clears throat> they're great. They, they're great teammates. They figured it out like all teammates should be. You communicate, you figure out what happened, and then you move on. And then you can see the way they're playing, they clearly – that it was something that everyone is going to happen. When you, have commu- when you have players that are communicating with each other, you probably have a good team. That's what you love. It's when players don't talk to each other is when you have all the problems. So to me, it was just a natural occurrence that happens. It happens every day in, in business. And, uh, you know, we love to make things, make something up, things like that. But, I don't really think there was anything there then, and I, don't, I certainly don't think there's anything there now. All right, last one. It's the Catch and Shoot podcast. So this answer to this question cannot be you, and because you're you, it, it can't be Michael Jordan either. Game on the line, ga- game seven to win a title, one guy to catch and shoot it. Who is it? Game on the line to catch and shoot it. Well, it's kind of an unfair question for me. You know, being a being an ex player, you know, I I've come to realize playing the game that you know what these guys are professionals, right? And there are certain players that you know will make that shot regardless of whatever the situation may be, right? If it's a catch and shoot, you know, Jordan probably wouldn't be the first guy that comes to mind, right? <laughs> but if you're saying if you had to score a basket, Jordan probably comes to mind. Um, I don't know. You could go with a, a number of a plethora of players, right? You just want to say catch and shoot, you know, immediately comes to mind. Larry Bird comes to mind, right? Because that's kind of what he would do. But knowing what I know, Larry Bird, why would Larry Bird be open on a catch and shoot in the last minute of a game? That doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> Well, the the the, the rest of, the rest of, the rest of the team was completely distracted, and uh, or, or 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 whatever, or your coach ran the the brilliant play, and it got a guy open. For right, a you know, like Reggie Miller would not be open on a on a catch and shoot in the last. Steph Curry would not be open, you know. So, all star game. Probably, uh, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't think there's much defense played in all star. You know, <laughs> you know. I think, I mean, look, you know, Magic Johnson, these great players are going to make plays when they need to make them. That's what makes them great, right? They may not be the greatest catch-and-shoot players or what have you, but you know what? If you would have told me who you want to shoot a skyhook in the last second of the game, Kareem or Magic, I don't know. (laughs) I I mean, now Kareem clearly has scored 38,000 points, but in the end, when you're talking about a pressure situation, you're talking about a different level of focus. And you just got to find a player that can actually, you know, get himself in that position to do it. So, um, but if it was just a hypothetical situation, I would say, I would say Larry Bird. Here we go. All right, he's B.J. Armstrong, the NBA agent, the three-time champ, the all-star back in 94. He's also... Part of our family here at Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast with BJ and Eric Newman comes out every Friday. BJ, we appreciate it. Thank you. All right, thank you, guys. Thanks, BJ.
So before we get into next week's headlines, let's look back at last week's headlines for this week. You get get that? Is that that's confusing? So we'll just recap what we said last week and making our predictions for this week. So last week I said that the Celtics would get smoked by the Raptors, then they'd have a team meeting. Well, they beat the Raptors and they've won four straight. Well, they do have the they do have the Warriors on Saturday in Boston, so maybe we'll get another team meeting. But we did get the Kyrie headline. So I, so we did get a Celtics headline, just not the one that I thought we'd get. Also, Harden against Philly, I said that's when his 30-point streak would run, or would uh, would finish. The Sixers blew out Houston, and they'll take the Harden. I mean, he had 37 in 31 minutes, but he was a minus 23. So, I mean, the Rockets didn't win. Harden still had the 30. Okay, one headline for me next week, LeBron. Quote, I had to come back to rescue my guys because the Lakers are going to continue to fall and LeBron's not missing the playoffs and LeBron will play hurt. I don't know how hurt he is even right now, but LeBron will end up coming back and whether it's next week or the week after, I expect LeBron to come back earlier than he had hoped because the Lakers are sinking. And I think people thought that he'd come back a lot earlier just because we've never seen this before as we said earlier 14 straight games and uh that's a a career worst i guess you call it i don't, I don't know no whatever you refer <laughs> yeah. to that as but i but i uh i i think you're right i thought you were going with lebron uh to miss the all-star game that's what i thought that yeah was. come on i'm not nuts i'm dumb but i'm not nuts he's got to play in that he's got to play uh noah my uh headline for next week Harden breaks Rockets record for points in a game. A record, by the way, he has set 60 points last January. I I think that this James Harden thing, we're going to see one more crazy explosion before, before the guys come back. I think he's itching to do it. It just depends on the night. Obviously, some ridiculous scoring, the, you know, 200 points over four games stuff. We, I mean, it. we talked about it uh, on the first episode of the podcast, just how wild his usage rate is. I think... Before he gets Chris Paul back, before he gets Capella back, he's going to have one more game of just total insanity, and uh, I think we're going to see it very shortly. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's a fair assumption. All right, I've got so the uh, the Sixers play in Denver this week. I've got Jokic flops and B drops thirty five. So Denver's on a back to back. And although both are at home, but Denver's on the back-to-back. I think that game is on Saturday. And, at like, Joel Embiid has just taken names at this point. And I think, he, I think he wants to prove to everybody every single night that he should be the MVP of this league. And he doesn't care who he's playing against. And I think Jokic just becomes his next victim. I love it. And I, and I love the rhyme scheme that you did there. I want to hear Thanks. you rhyme more often on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I, uh, I I write headlines my spare time. You do, and you're uh, you're quite good at it. Um, my headline for this next week is Cavs really could lose to Duke. Now, here's the thing. I talked to Jay Williams about this. He's the one who made headlines initially when he said that the Cavs starting five, as they were, and the guys were injured, his point was, in general, the idea that based on the Cavs starting five, they couldn't beat the Duke starting five because there's guys on Duke that are better than the guys on the Cavs, and the Cavs were injured at the time. Here's the thing. We are underselling how bad this Cavs team is. They are 1-16 in 16 and also looking to tank. We're forgetting that factor, too. This week they're playing at Boston, who obviously screwed up both of our next week's headlines last week, as you pointed out, that's confusing to say. Uh, they play Miami and then at Chicago in a tankathon. I think when you talk about those three games, I think Cavs are going to lose all three, and we're going to start talking again once more about how this Cavs team is not as good as any team with Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett on it. I think you're nuts. I think you're nuts. But I always think that whenever there's a one of those conversations, I think it, it might be close, but I think you're nuts. 
Alright, let's go off the rails. I think we're about to go off the rails. So at the, every, at the end of every show, we like to make it a little personal. And we hope that people actually just enjoy us as people, not just two clowns talking hoops. So this past week, I was broadcasting for the eighth straight year for CBS Sports Network. It's the Bass Pro Tournament of Champions. It, it is not anything have to do with fishing. It's the most heavily attended high school basketball tournament in the country, a three-day thing in Springfield, Missouri, six teams from around the country, two local teams, and they put about 30,000 people in over those three days into JQH Arena at Missouri State, and one of those teams was Shadow Mountain from Phoenix, Arizona, and Mike Bibby, the former NBA guard, played 1,001 games in the NBA, is the head coach at Shadow Mountain, where he went to high school, where he won a state title, Stayed in Arizona, won an NCAA title his freshman year there. And Bibby, Bibby will never be invited back to this tournament. He got teed up on Thursday. He got teed up on Friday. His team was obnoxious. He was the only coach in the eight years there that blew off the broadcast meeting that we usually have. We have you know 30 minutes with each coach before we call the semifinal games on Saturday or on Friday. And then on Saturday, they have a breakfast, which is really nice. And every coach sits on the dais and spends about five minutes talking to everybody, or, you know, a few hundred people in the room, about their program, about their team, because these are teams from all over the country. Public schools, private schools, quote-unquote basketball factories. What does Bibby do? He doesn't sit on the dais. An assistant coach sat up there. And Mike Bibby was too big for all of this. Meanwhile... Penny Hardaway did it two years ago, and Penny was diagramming plays on napkins when we had our broadcast meeting. So, Bibby's a donkey. He's never going to get invited back. And if he continues with this attitude, he's never going to get a college job either. No, I have so many questions. It starts, of course, with how big were his arms? Uh, Massive. I was in the elevator going downstairs to go to the gym, and I was just hoping that Bibby wasn't going to be in the gym. He's huge. It could be. I'm not ruling that out. Was it just honestly? Was it just a case of uh, him feeling like he's too big time? Like why? It's, it's it's it seemed like it. And and his team, uh, Jalen House is on their team. Eddie House's son. If you want to feel old, he's a uh, he's a senior. He's going to Arizona State also, where where Eddie went. And that kid that kid is insanely intense. And then. He went three for 23 from three over his last two games. He's in your face, almost like to the point of being obnoxious. And Bibby was pissed with the foul calls on on Friday night as the uh, McEachern team went to the line 42 times. But that's the way it's called, and you got to adjust. And his, and his guys couldn't adjust. He couldn't adjust. House got a technical foul. One of his, one of his bench players got thrown out of the game. It's He's, as I said, a donkey. The wild part about all that is that you think about Bibby as a player and you go back to those that, that national championship team, 97 for Arizona, last Pac-12 team actually to win uh, a national championship. What do, you, what do you know about the Pac-12? A little bit, a little bit. But I, the interesting part is, though, he was always so cool and calm on the court. That's what made him so good. It's fascinating to me now that he looks entirely different than he did as a player and obviously is acting entirely different. I'm wondering if someone just, I don't know, um, took over his uh, his body or something. Might have a face-off situation here. I think we're about to go off the rails. No, we talk about we talk about personal stories. And uh, in a past life, I used to sell game tapes of high school players during the preps to pros craze uh, to NBA and and college teams. And I was doing that at a at a tournament in Delaware one year. And uh, a guy came up to me and decided that he wanted to try to represent Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard was the, the, the top high school player in the country. And so he said, hey, I think I found my guy. You're my guy. Well, it, it turned out to be an, an, an NBA agent, uh, was trying to break actually into NBA agency. He was, he was a, an NFL agent at the time, but he figured if I could get Dwight Howard and he's going to be the next great thing, then this is going to be awesome. I can start my NBA career. I'm going to have the number one pick in the draft right away. And that's what you could do back then. You didn't have to go through college programs and try to find out handlers. You could find a kid, target him in high school, and go from there. So myself and a cameraman were, were sent 
all over the country to go follow Dwight Howard and shoot game tape of him just so we could create a DVD going back a little bit in time, a DVD that would be presented to Dwight Howard and made a pitch for him. It would, we'd, we'd, they wanted to talk about the sneaker deal they could get him. They wanted to talk about uh, all the endorsement money, the future of, of Dwight Howard here. And they spent all this money flying us all over, doing all this to create, to create this. And I find out they don't even get to make their pitch. Don't even get to make their pitch because one of the players this agent represented, Ray Lewis, Dwight Howard's uncle was the prosecuting DA in the case against him. No way. So all that work, and sometimes you can never figure out uh, what it is that's going to cost you, or I guess in some cases uh, get you a, a player that could make your entire future. But did you get paid? I did. All right. That's all that matters. Oh, and I, I want to, uh, I mean, that's wild. It's, it's just a crazy small world, um, which that's why you can't talk about anybody. I try to badmouth you to people and they're like, oh, wait, I know Adam Stanko and it's, you know. Um, yeah, so if you go back to last week's story, real quick on you, um, and if you haven't heard the story, go back and listen to Off the Rails at the end of last week. So you posted the story itself on, on Facebook and... And Carrie, and and then you became friends with Carrie Williams, and she responded. Yeah, I, we didn't become friends. I didn't throw her official uh, friend request. Oh, so she just she slid into the comments. I'm still so nervous about it. Yeah, someone had tagged her and 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 mentioned her. She went back and listened. She was she was thinking she was going to be the villain in that story. And in some ways, I hate to tell you, Carrie, but I, I still think you were so. Um, <laughs> but I did tell her congrats on on uh, getting that treasurer nod. So again, these are all uh, inside jokes from last week's podcast that you'll have to go back and. You're all always always laying groundwork. Well done. Appreciate you though setting that up. My my wife also appreciated uh, you setting up me that's meeting ex girlfriends or or that's girls I that I knew rather on Facebook. Yeah, I appreciate that's it. what I do. I bring people together. People <laughs> you together. definitely do. Yeah. Um, thanks, pal. I enjoyed it, and we'll do it again next week. For sure. For sure. I'm excited about this. All right, the uh, Catch and Shoot podcast brought to you by Pure Hoops Media. So check this out. Every Wednesday, Wise Ass Show comes out on Mondays, and Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman comes out on Fridays. I'm off to Southern Mississippi. I've got Southern Miss Western Kentucky on Thursday on Stadium, and then out to Boise for Boise State, Wyoming on Saturday. And you've got yourself some uh, Pac-12 podcasting or Pac-12 studio stuff? Yeah, overseeing the Pac-12 podcast and, uh, you know, just, just staying involved in the in the hoops world, much like uh, much like you are, my friend. But I do encourage people to check out Noah when he's calling games. I was excited to get you here to, to listen to you on that uh, on that championship game. It was uh, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool. CBS Sports. It was awesome. Thanks, pal. All right. We appreciate all the listeners. And remember to subscribe, rate, review, share with all your friends. And we will talk to you next week. Yeah.